Yeah. I just, I just feel like we, like we have been boxed in. So ladies, I'm curious because you're all, I actually noticed that you all work within academic settings. So all of you work within some form of education type of workplace. And I'm curious, how do you navigate and how do you maneuver all these tropes that are placed upon you in the workplace, in the media, at church, in your social groups, your friends and your families? How do you maneuver these? Um, I guess I'll start out the gate, Brianna. Um, I think for me, honestly, if I do like a quick, <laughs> a quick like glimpse of like my life part is like growing up and the environments I've been in, the two words I would say for me that I have felt like I've had to adapt to is code switching and adapting. Um, which is pretty much the same thing. But co-switching, I think that's the word a lot of people are familiar with. And when I say that, I say it in a sense of not to be ashamed at all of like who I am <laughs> and like how I am, but more so like knowing that like how Brianna A needs to be to get something kind of like what Andrea touched on earlier versus Brianna B can be this way and not be looked at in type of way. So growing up in Prince George's County, Maryland, for the predominantly black county in America, <laughs> like we embodied everything about black people from food to culture to music, like everything. And, you know, we're number one for the black community in America to this day. And I love it, you know, but at the same time, I went to Catholic school, which is predominantly white because my parents wanted a better education for me and my siblings. So I learned very at a young age, very young age, like how to adapt and code switch just to survive, you know, kind of like some of the situations um, patients, Dr. Patients mentioned when it comes down to having your voice heard, you know, being teased about certain things. Um, I will never forget a moment actually where, you know, I'm smart like anyone else. And I was, um, I tested out of like a math level and my mom was like, well, you should be in honors. Literally like my mom had to fight tooth and nail to get me into honors because I was, it was really because I was black. Like I tested out, everything was fine. They even were like the, the, the headmaster or whomever. They were like, well, I think you're going to have to pay more. My mom's like paying more for what? These white kids aren't paying more for what? <laughs> like <laughs> to be in honors because she's black. Like, are you serious? So yeah, like things like that, you know, then growing up, going to different programs at camp and like literally having a white male tell me to my face that I couldn't be an engineer, that I was dumb, things like that, you know? And so I'm saying that because I want to be raw. I want to be, you know, very transparent, but these are things where like, you have to learn. I learned very quickly how to code switch and handle people of other races, white race, because you just are like, wow, these people are very bold. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, wow, like you have no remorse at all. So you, you really learn like how to be your free cultured self. That's what I call it. And then be like your, I guess, you know, be person where that's like what they want to see. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it is what it is to kind of navigate the spaces. Um, my community, people, adults that I look up to, they always say, you know, do what you have to do in order to get to where you want to get. And then you can call the shots. 
So that's kind of how I see it. So I want to piggyback on what Brianna said. This is Andrea. Um, one of the things that I experienced when I got to college was my advisor telling me, oh, you can't do that. Um, I wanted to double major. I wanted to major in chemical engineering and business management. And I was told, first of all, that's not a good idea because engineers don't really need business. Now, mind you, <laughs> this is two years when this statement was made to me. This was two years before the joint MBA program was started at Iowa State between the engineering college and the business college. So, no, engineers just don't need business, but okay. Um, so there was that. That was very vindicating for me. Um, so I share that experience. Um, one of the other things that I think I've had to adjust to, um, since, especially since coming to college, when we were talking about before about how um, it's weird for a Black woman to not be loud, I felt like coming to college was the first time that I could actually not be loud and it was okay. Um, I could actually not be extroverted and I could figure out for myself that hmm, maybe I don't like being the center of attention. Maybe I don't like being in large crowds of people and maybe that's okay because Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kenyon. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So welcome back, soldiers. Thanks again for joining us in our virtual living room. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome, and we hope you find it valuable. And again, my name is Abdullah, and you can follow me on IG and Twitter at ThatDudeDullah, D-A-T-D-U-D-E-D-U-L-L-A-H. You can join the community on Instagram at Christian Soldier and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian Soldier, S-O-U-L-J-A-H. And if you're old school like me, you can drop us an email at hello at christiansoldier.com. So Andres and Justine, where can folks find y'all on social media? Um, okay, y'all, I'm super basic. I am not a social media person, but you can find me on Facebook under the name Tina Akini. My last name is spelled A for Africa, K for Kenya, I for India, N for Nigeria, Y for yellow, I for India. And you can catch me on Instagram at Amador Life, A-M-A-D-O-R-L-I-F-E. If you feel like you need to hunt me down somewhere else, I am on Facebook, I'm on Twitter and all those other places, but I see if I can, see if I can do something on Instagram. So help a guy out. <laughs> okay soldiers today's episode is my absolute fave i mean all our episodes are technically my favorite but today's is my favorite favorite because not only do we have some really amazing gifted intelligent and beautiful guests joining us in our virtual living room but we are going to have some very candid and personal conversations 
but grab your pumpkin spice latte and get cozy because today's episode will be a special one. So as Justine just said, we have guests in our living room. And the reason uh, we decided to do this episode is because there's a voice that unfortunately is just not heard enough. And that's the black woman and her lived experience at a number of intersections. Yep. And, and one more thing. So um, Andres and I, for listeners, so Andres and I, like you guys, are going to be flies on the wall in this episode. So we are, we are just here to, to listen and to glean from the perspective of these five sisters on the mic with us today. So um, ladies, if y'all ask us a question, we'll answer it. But this episode is to you, for you, and by you. So the brothers are going to just fall back. So, so just this conversation is going to be so rich that this will be a two-part episode. So, um, you know, the first, the first half of the episode, I mean, who knows where we go, where we get to in the first half, but the first half of the episode will, will just be a lot of questions, a lot of conversation around, um, just existing as a woman who happens to be black, whether it's African or African American or, or, or what have you. So a lot of, a lot of that will be in the first episode. Um, the second episode will cover other topics like, uh, dating and relationships and marriage and parenting and those kinds of things. And so we just hope that you guys stick around for both episodes because I promise you, this will be a rich, rich, rich conversation. There's so much meat here. There's so much. Um, these women are heavyweights. It's just as simple as that. These women are heavyweights. And so you will want to hear from their different perspectives. And so, um, again, we hope you listen to both episodes and we're going to just, uh, just, just kind of get right into it. So with that, I would ask Justine, as, as you take it away, what's the title or what's the song, the title track for this episode? Ooh, okay. So I really had to think about this one because I think there's a lot of, well, I think there's a lot of songs that celebrate black womanhood, but the one that really resonates with me is I Am Not My Hair by India Ari because I think she really tries to to elaborate how black women are usually put in this one little box. And we are so much more than what the world thinks about us. And so I'm very excited to be able to talk more about this with our guests today. And um, so real quick, I'm going to start off by introducing our guests. We have four amazing women with us today. We have Jordan Harrison. We have Brianna Lawton, Andrea Lowe, and Dr. Patience Luth. So I'm going to start off by just giving some quick introductions. And um, yeah, then we're going to go from there. We're going to jump right into the questions. And y'all, I am so looking forward to this. So Andrea is a Black American woman, and she's from Kansas City, Missouri. And she is a single mother of one. She is a teacher of ninth grade science, a sorority member, and a volunteer. Sometimes she's voluntold. I feel you, girl. <laughs> she is a member of several other organizations. And she has lived in Iowa for almost 20 years. That is a long time. And she has spent a lot of those 20 years in Ames. And despite her sometimes negative experiences, she has no intention of moving anytime soon. So she is grounded in Ames, Iowa. That's great. Thank you for being on the show, Andrea. I'm really excited to just learn more from you today. 
Then up next, we have Jordan. Jordan is a visual storyteller by nature and a video producer by title. She has a passion for capturing authentic and life-filled stories through documentary style filming and motion design. When she's not capturing or telling stories, she enjoys listening to soulful music, especially live, dancing and laughing with friends and family. So fun. Something that I so appreciate about Jordan is Jordan is so creative. Like she's one of the most creative. In my head, I'm like, she's a creative genius. She's so creative, so creative. So good to have you, Jordan. Thanks for making time today. Up next, we have Dr. Patience Sleuth, who after leaving Botswana in 1996, she attended university here um, in Ames, Iowa. She went to Iowa State University um, and she was not aware that God would send her back to Botswana in the capacity of ministry 20 years later. She has a heart to see people come to know Jesus and live in the freedom that he has called them into. With a doctorate in education, she is gifted in teaching, which she does at Iowa State University. She is involved with Christian organizations, including Interversity Christian Fellowship, Woven, which her and her husband founded. And this is a ministry which is a network of local, national, and international women seeking to live in Christ's identity. And she is currently attending the Vineyard Institute to get an advanced biblical leadership certificate. Mm. Wow. She and her husband, yeah. Paul, live in Ames, Iowa, and they are members of a local church where they have served in hospitality, children's worship, small group, and prayer ministries. They have five children, ages 15, 13, 11, 9, and 7. So great. Patience, you are superwoman. I don't know how you do all these things. It's amazing. It's so great. Last but not least, we have Brianna. Whoop, whoop. Brianna is from the DMV. She grew up in Prince George's County in Maryland, and she is a Morgan State University alumni, and she is a current PhD candidate in civil engineering at ISU. So she's going to be a doctor very soon, you guys. How great is that? Just awesome. She is an avid traveler and learner. She makes it a point to travel to a new country every year. Yes, she does. Brianna is currently kicking off her own podcast and nonprofit organization that seeks to educate and bridge the gap between Africans in the diaspora by disseminating information through storytelling and traveling abroad. So great. Y'all, we have such an amazing and fantastic group of women today. So enjoy the podcast. So just enjoy the podcast. Okay, so ladies, I am going to dive right into our discussion, right? So again, the reason we decided to do this podcast is because we want to create a space for Black women. And we want to create a space where we can talk about Black womanhood. Because I think we live in a culture and society that has put Black women in a box. And I am hoping that we can begin to do the work of tearing down that box and actually educating people about Black womanhood and what it means to be a Black woman. So my first question is this. Um, how, in your own words, would you define what it means to be a Black woman? Um, this is Brianna to all the listeners. Um, I would say, honestly, you have to start looking at it from a lens of 
it's not just like how is it to be a black woman it's kind of taking a step back and saying it's like black woman versus a woman that is black Mm. because when i think about that it's like being a black woman is saying like in america that's how i'm looked at versus like a woman that is black that could be a woman anywhere in the world that could be a woman in africa that could be a woman in europe that could be a woman in the caribbean and so i think we have to start from that context first because saying like oh what is it to be a black woman that's honestly i feel like looking at it just from race um and not looking at it like holistically as like a woman that happens to be black Mm. (laughs) so yeah, that's my first thought. Okay. Patience, I can see the wheels spinning. <laughs> <laughs> you know that poem, Phenomenal Woman? That is who I think a Black woman is. And, you know, of course, as, as Black women, that, that particular phrase is very personal (laughs) or can be very personal right um and i have found um some of my friends who would rather be a brown woman right um or different shades of who we are so um the idea of black to me um is not what I i would say the world thinks okay um, when we think of black, the norm is that black is dirty or black is, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to say what black is not or black woman is not or or black is the opposite of of white. Mm. Right. So to me, um, being a black woman is not being compared to any other black woman and not being compared to any other woman who is not a black woman. <laughs> and so, yeah, th- th- that's just what I was thinking about. It's really nothing profound, Tina. Just my thought. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Andrea, Jordan. Um, I think for me, well, I love how Brianna started off. Um, I think for me, I typically think of black women in the context of america so that kind of redefines how my answer but i also love how patients mentioned the phenomenal woman poem i think that embodies kind of the characteristics of black women i think a lot of those characteristics in that poem like i aspire to embody myself i'm just going to go with adjectives here i'd say the adjectives that come to mind for me when i think of black women or to be a black woman I think of the word phenomenal. I think of graceful and grace-filled. I think of strength, but not only just like a bold strength, but also quiet strength. And I think of just like spectacular, magical, wonderful, vibrant. And uh, there's so many different shades and variances to black women too. So I think that's another aspect is variety. Very good. Jordan, you made me think of the hashtag Black Girl Magic. Yep. Andrea? For me, a lot of being a Black woman um, has been challenging. 
um, in the sense that there's never really a good single definition of Black womanhood. So for me, it's just multifaceted. Um, so there's the typified Black woman and all the tropes that you see in media. And is that the definition of who I am? Or am I the opposite of that? Like, do I define my life by just making sure that I'm always the opposite of what people see in media? Um, or do I try to define myself as just who I am and not really care what everybody else seems to think? Um, so it just becomes this constant. And I think this is also a part of Black women's experience that you spend a lot of time just trying to figure out who you're going to present to the world um, as opposed to just figuring out who you are. You're always trying to figure out, well, okay, who do I want to be in this space? And who do I need to be in order to get what I need in the moment? Do I have to be the sassy friend so that I can mm -hmm. get what I need from this person? Do I have to be the educated scholar in order to get what I need from these people? Do I have to be the super ghetto black girl in order to get what I need from these people? And you're constantly wondering, I think, like I said, I think an aspect of black womanhood is just, who do I have to be in this space to get what I need? Low key black women, we chameleons. We chameleons. Mm. <laughs> like, we're chameleons. <laughs> like, if there was a uh, picture of like black women for an animal, it'd be chameleons. Like, <laughs> so, Andrea, like, it's almost like we have to morph depending on the spaces we're in. And, you know, when you were talking about having to decide what you have to present, there's also the reality of like, what if this is just who I am, but people will look at me and say that I'm this way because I'm black, or they'll say that I'm acting a certain way because I'm trying not to be black, you know, whatever black is. Yeah. And that's a, that's, it's a huge issue within our own community because then people tell you, oh, you're not black enough. Um, you know, you are trying to be white. You're trying to act white. If you speak with correct diction, all of a sudden you're just trying to be white. Or if you decide to, I mean, look at all the people <laughs> on this panel right now. Most of us have multiple degrees. And why is that anti-Black? But if you go back to a lot of neighborhoods, that's anti-Black because you're pursuing higher education. Why is me getting a PhD a threat to my Blackness? Because mm. I don't stop being Black in the eyes of all the people I have to work with. Yeah. They still see me as the dumb Black girl. Can I add mm. something in? Yes. Um, so I think it, like going back to like what I originally stated far as like being a black woman or a woman who happens to be black versus, you know, what a black woman is. And I think it starts honestly 
when that even that phrase, I feel like is just from a very American perspective. Because if we go to AKA countries in Africa, patients, maybe you can talk about this. You know, they're not, there's no context of race, obviously, because majority of the continent is all black people. And so like to say, oh, you're a black woman, they're gonna be like, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Versus like here, it's like, yeah, I am. And look at all the things that come with it. So I think um, it really like really shapes the way that that even that phrase comes from really an American, I think, point of view. Um, and not saying it's wrong at all. It's our truth, you know, that experience that we have here in America. But I feel like speaking to some of my friends from other countries, they're like, I actually realized I was quote unquote black when I came to America. So I think it's interesting, like when you hear those types of like, you know, comments, obviously, because America was really built off of race. <laughs> so Sweet. Abdul, did you have something to add before we go to the next question? No, I, I don't want to add anything. All I wanted to say was that I'm trying really hard to just to, to, to be quiet, not so that I can participate in the conversation, but I'm over here like, mm, Lord, ooh, oh, that's really good. And, <laughs> you know, so yeah, th that's, that's, I, yeah, this is, this is already a few minutes in and just amazing stuff and just really dope, dope stuff. And so I, yeah, I'm just, I'm 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 almost over here like in church right now, just listening to all of this perspective and and whatnot. So <laughs> that's all I wanted to say was was if y'all hear me over here, mm, 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 I'm not having a stroke. I'm just yeah. I'm over here like yeah. <laughs> so awesome. I, I was wondering if I could I could also um agree, not agree but confirm what Brianna was. About, yes, yes. And actually, so later on, patients, I specifically have a question for you in that regard. So okay. we're going to jump. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. So in the previous question, we touched a little bit about how Black women or Black womanhood is perceived in America. So can you guys elaborate just a little bit more on what that looks like? Like, what are the stereotypes? What are the tropes? Be they negative? positive what are some ways that black women are perceived in our country well <laughs> i gave you a couple of them already <laughs> um there's there's always the sassy black friend um always got a good joke and a good comeback and um gonna you know entertain everybody in the room um there's jezebel which is the one i think that is probably the most annoying to me is the one who is the black woman as the man stealer always the one who is going to be the downfall of any man that comes into contact with her um she's the one that comes in and is the home wrecker so she's the the sex symbol um always there to lure your men away um then there's the angry black woman so that's the one that I feel like, especially in academia, we fight against all the time because to be angry and to bring forward valid points is interpreted as being combative and wanting to get into some type of physical altercation, 
Nobody wants to fight you. Just because I have a valid point doesn't mean I want to fight. I just want you to hear what I have to say and move forward. So those are three that I think of. I think it's, um, I echo like some of those, what you said, um, Andrea. And I think it's first and foremost, it's sad that we have to like say these things because they're negative, you know what I mean? And it just makes it really saddening. I feel like um, to hear the fact that like black women are being portrayed this way. And I think they are stereotyped um, because we have to put on these like fronts that like, oh, well, because I already think that they think I'm like this, so I have to prove them wrong. Um, but for me, I actually growing up and even now, and maybe it's just the environment I kind of have been in, but I've seen, I feel like both sides, not just black women, you know, looked at as maybe the angry black woman or ready to like fight or anything like that. But growing up, I was also like told like black women are the strongest, black women are the most beautiful, black women you know, are most resilient and things of that nature. And I, you know, um, embody like, and I like say those things to me, I was you know, told those things. And I think they are very true for black women. Um, so I feel like it's kind of a catch 22 because maybe our community, some parts of our community, like tell us the positive and then the world is kind of saying the negative. And so sometimes you feel like, well, what's true? And I believe, you know, it, there's always truth in like both sides. Um, there are some people that are out there acting the same way that you just described, but I don't believe necessarily they're even the majority um, versus, you know, just like the other women. I believe every Black woman does embody those positive traits. She just needs the right, I think, um, maybe environment and people to bring those things out of her. So, so good. The power of representation. I think for me, um, well, what Andrea said, all of those, those tropes, those stereotypes, I can name probably multiple movies or shows where those are put, like, in terms of, like, media. And I think, you know, when it comes to what America has to say of what the Black woman is, a lot of it is in how they portray Black women in movies and television. Um, and so for me, like growing up, a lot of those either tropes or stereotypes, you know, I didn't always see myself in those. And so at times it left me kind of wondering where I fit in as a black woman, black woman, so to speak. Um, it wasn't really until Issa Rae came out with Awkward Black Girl that I kind of started to find like a place in black women media representation sort of um but yeah i think media definitely skews a lot of what um or leans a certain way when it comes to representing black women and yeah i think there's again just lots of other black women or variations to black women that aren't represented in mass media and you know that you don't see and whose stories don't get told mm. That was so, so good. And I, of course, um, all what Brianna, Andrea, and Jordan said all resonate with me. And, um, you know, my, as we're, as we're sitting here, my blood is literally, I don't know how y'all feel, but my blood's kind of 
getting, you know, it's, it's um, boiling, but okay, it's not a boiling point yet, but it's getting there. Um, and sometimes I tell myself, well, maybe I do have a right to be angry. Um, and the, the, what, I, what has been portrayed of me um, as black woman and maybe as black women is that I'm loud, right? Um, I, I, I really do have a loud voice, but that's just who I am. Whereas some other black women have, don't have a loud voice. I mean, but maybe when we're all together, we just sound like we're loud. And that's because we're enjoying ourselves. Okay. So my mom used to say to me, black is beautiful. Ebony is lovely. Mm-hmm. And the reason why she would say that is because we were raised in, in countries in, uh, in Africa where, or a country where skin color, depending on your skin color, you know, you'd be teased in school and so on. I was teased for my dark skin. And, um, and I've, of course, heard several stories um, of black women in America as well who went through the same thing, treated differently because their skin was a shade darker. And I was called many names and so on. But one thing that I, I grew up knowing is that black is beautiful and ebony is lovely. When I came to America, and of course I was teased, right? Um, and I might've had some issues. When I came to America, I started hearing more and more about my skin color. And I feel like that even made me a little more uncomfortable <laughs> than just being teased at school, right? Because why is my skin color pointed out? Um, and I, of course, I don't mind um, other Black women talking about my skin tone, right? And giving me a compliment. Um, but then there's some other comments, you know, that really um, aggravate me. So for anyway, so some of the stereotypes that I've heard are mainly deal with my voice. And I, I feel like that is um, a way of silencing, um, <laughs> silencing the black woman. I've experienced it several times. I will not mention where I've experienced it, but you know, you're sitting in meetings and whatnot. And apparently my voice, even though it's loud, um, is, is not heard. And some um, other person, maybe a white male, will say the exact same thing, literally, almost word for word. And they, they'll, oh, yeah, great. I, that is amazing. Great idea. And, you know, so I, I actually, a, a black um, friend of mine, um, we came to a, a, an agreement. <laughs> we said, we're going to help each other at these meetings. And so anytime I'd say something and it, it was overridden, you know, or taken over, she would say, well, that's the exact same thing that patient said. Patience, that was a great point. And I'll do the same for her. And so a lot of times, you know, um, uh, the, the stereotype is that we're loud. But when we try to, for example, s- give ideas, it's looked down upon. Um, I can tell you many, many stories. And why I started off by saying maybe I have a reason to be angry is because of experiences. And maybe we'll, we'll talk about these later. But I can tell you about what my daughter has been called. And yes, I have a right to be angry. There's something called righteous anger. And yes, you can be angry. It's okay to be angry if you are being teased. It's okay to be angry if your daughter is being um, looked down upon, right? And they say mama bear comes out. For me, it's the lioness. Like I will protect my cubs. I don't care what you, what you say, right? So 
that's my, that's what I have to say about this. <laughs> so patients, can I ask you a follow-up question about what you said? Sure. So, okay. So you mentioned um, kind of the, the, the meeting phenomenon. Do you feel like you perceive that or that people perceive that to be, so when you, when you and your friend are kind of responding to each other, oh man, that was a good idea, patients. I'm glad you said that. When you feel like you're doing that, um, do you perceive people are taking that as like a form of, of like subversion or something? Or like, is there, do folks feel any kind of way when that happens? For sure. Um, when you, um, thankfully, I, I, I tell people, I'm glad I don't blush, right? Because I, <laughs> or, you know, my face doesn't, you, you, you can't tell, you can tell my eyes if I'm angry, but you can't tell in my skin tone, okay? So that's a, a blessing of, of having dark skin. Um, so, but, so you can tell, when, when, you know, people get a little flushed or you can tell from the, the way that they look at you or kind of, it, it just gets quiet in the room for a couple of seconds and then we move on. Someone kind of changes the topic, right? So yeah, for sure. Um, no one has ever said that it is a, a form of, of subversion, but I'm pretty sure many people think that. Patience, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the whole stereotype about black women being loud, because I think on the flip side, if you are a black woman who is not quote unquote loud, then it's almost like you're being pushed to be loud. And it's kind of like this weird tension of like, again, black women have been put in a very specific box. It's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like if you're loud, we're going to make sure you know that you're loud then if you're kind of more of like a quiet, maybe more um, listener type of person, like it's almost like this push of like, oh, speak, speak, share. I really don't have anything to share. Like I am totally okay just being quiet. So it's such, man, yeah. I just, I just feel like we, like we have been boxed in. So ladies, I'm curious because you're all, I actually noticed that you all work within academic settings. So all of you work within some form of education type of workplace. And I'm curious, how do you navigate and how do you maneuver all these tropes that are placed upon you in the workplace, in the media, at church, in your social groups, your friends and your families? How do you maneuver these? Um, I guess I'll start out the gate. Brianna, um, I think for me, honestly, if I do like a quick, <laughs> a quick like glimpse of like my life part is like growing up and the environments I've been in, the two words I would say for me that I have felt like I've had to adapt to is code switching and adapting, um, which is pretty much the same thing. But co-switching, I think that's the word a lot of people are familiar with. And when I say that, I say it in a sense of not to be ashamed at all of like who I am <laughs> and like how I am, but more so like knowing that like how Brianna A needs to be to get something kind of like what Andrea touched on earlier versus Brianna B can be this way and not be looked at in type of way. So growing up in Prince George's County, Maryland, the predominantly Black county in America, <laughs> like we embodied everything about black people from food to culture to music, like everything. And, you know, we're number one for the black community in America to this day. And I love it, you know, but at the same time, I went to Catholic school, which is predominantly white. 
because my parents wanted a better education for me and my siblings. So I learned very at a young age, very young age, like how to adapt and code switch just to survive, you know, kind of like some of the situations um, patients, after patients mentioned when it comes down to having your voice heard, you know, being teased about certain things. Um, I will never forget a moment actually where, you know, I'm smart like anyone else. And I was, um, I tested out of like a math level. And my mom was like, well, you should be in honors. Literally, like my mom had to fight tooth and nail to get me into honors because I was, it was really because I was black. Like I tested out, everything was fine. They even were like the 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 headmaster or whomever. They were like, well, I think you're going to have to pay more. My mom's like, paying more for what? These white kids aren't paying more for what? <laughs> like <laughs> To be in honors because she's black? Like, are you serious? So, yeah, like things like that, you know, then growing up, going to different programs and camps and like literally having a white male tell me to my face that I couldn't be an engineer, that I was dumb. Things like that, you know, and so I'm saying that because I want to be raw. I want to be, you know, very transparent. But these are things where, like, you have to learn. I learned very quickly how to code switch and handle people of other races, white race, because you just are like, wow, these people are very bold. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, wow, like you have no remorse at all. <laughs> so you you really learn like how to be your free cultured self. That's what I call it. And then be like your, I guess, you know, be person where that's like what they want to see. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it is what it is to kind of navigate the spaces. Um, my community, people, adults that I look up to, they always say, you know, do what you have to do in order to get to where you want to get. And then you can call the shot. So that's kind of how I see it. So I want to piggyback on what Brianna said. This is Andrea. Um, one of the things that I experienced when I got to college was my advisor telling me, oh, you can't do that. Um, I wanted to double major. I wanted to major in chemical engineering and business management. And I was told, first of all, that's not a good idea because engineers don't really need business. Now, mind you, <laughs> this is two years when this statement was made to me, this was two years before the joint MBA program was started at Iowa State between the engineering college and the business college. So no, engineers just don't need business, but okay. Um, so there was that, that was very vindicating for me. Um, so I shared that experience. Um, one of the other things that I think I've had to adjust to, um, since, especially since coming to college, when we were talking about before about how um, it's weird for a black woman to not be loud, I felt like coming to college was the first time that I could actually not be loud and it was okay. Um, I could actually not be extroverted and I could figure out for myself that, hmm, Maybe I don't like being the center of attention. Maybe I don't like being in large crowds of people. And maybe that's okay. Because growing up, um, Abdullah will probably share this experience with me, but growing up in Kansas City, the Black community there is very, very tight-knit. And so 
there's certain things that because well, yeah, folks will put you on blast for doing you just that. don't you, do. you're called you're called call <laughs> like, bougie you're you called a bunch of different from things the black but community yeah you, you don't, don't do go that. i don't really want to hang out with y'all like that's just totally unacceptable you don't do that oh good boundaries right <laughs> patience jordan do you have anything to add no so you don't do you don't go home when there is a church meeting you go to the church meeting <laughs> When there's a family gathering of any sort, you don't call and say, I can't make it. I don't feel good. I don't feel like it today. You don't ever say those things. You just go. Even if you don't like anybody at the, at the gathering, you just go. So it, it was really freeing for me to come to school um, all the way in Cornfield, Iowa and figure out that I don't have to be what everybody else tells me I got to be. Um, but that gets called into question then when you work in academia, <laughs> because everybody tells you who you are. And I mean, everybody. So your professors tell you, oh, I expect this from you. Therefore, if you're not doing that, what's wrong with you? Your classmates constantly tell you what they expect from you. Everybody expects you to be available because, you know, coming to Iowa, one of the things, especially if you come from a large city um, or larger city, one of the things you figure out very quickly is that a lot of people here come from smaller towns especially if they are from Iowa, they come from smaller towns and they don't have experience with people who look different from them. So you are the resident expert on all things black. And therefore, you must tell me everything that you know about being black because you're who I have access to. Therefore, you must know and I must ask you. Um, <laughs> So there's, there's that kind of definition and you learn to either put limits on that kind of stuff or you are in a constant state of, I'm about to punch the next person to ask me a dumb question. So you, the, the adjustment, y'all are laughing at me and I get it, but you learn very quickly how to put limits on people and how to tell people, okay, you're, you're pushing my limits right now. You're in my space. I can't with you right now. And I can't means I can't. And literally you have, you turn and walk away from people and I will do it at school. I, most of the people at my school I can deal with. We won't say to the level, to the extent that I can deal with most of them, but I can deal with them. Um, but there's moments when I'm like, nope, we're done. I'm going to my space and I got, I cannot with you. We're done. So you, like I said, in learning how to deal with it, you just learn how to put limits and you end up putting limits on other people, but there are limits for your own sanity and safety. And you have to either tell people to adhere to those limits or be out of my space. 
I would say I definitely, this is Jordan, um, I definitely related to Brianna. I was like silently snapping when you said code switching <laughs> because that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, and I've been thinking about code switching just like personally, like a lot in my life lately and like how that's influenced me, how I code switch in different places. And so for me, one of the things I realized is that I wasn't taught to code switch mm. by like my parents. It just was a learned thing. But I can reflect back and recognize how I was kind of taught. So at home in like grade school, my parents would always correct me when I would say like y'all or ain't. Like all the time, spot on, every single time they would get me. But at the same time, when my parents were talking to like their friends, they would say those words. No problem. And now that I'm older and, you know, graduated from college in the working world, I go home and I use those same words in conversations with my parents. But it was just when I was in that grade school age, you know, um, going into high school or before that, where they kind of, I guess, hammered down on that as a way to kind of, I don't know, uh, make sure that I could switch or knew how to turn things on or off. There's a really good um, spoken word piece called, I think it's called I'm Articulate. And it's about like, this woman, I think she's Jamaican and um, she's an academic too. And she just talks about like code switching and how sometimes um, you can get mixed up and say like one code or talk one way in the wrong context. And you're like, oh my God, it's like I'm cooking in the bathroom or like, you know, just mixing things up. But um, yeah, that's definitely something I've unconsciously learned how to do. And I think now I'm just more aware of like, oh, yeah, I talk to my friends totally different from how I talk to like my boss or certain coworkers or, you know, just people in different contexts. And I think that's one of the things I've just naturally kind of learned how to do is I think just that you said earlier, be a chameleon in a way or in a sense. Um, but it's interesting because, yeah, I don't think white people have to code switch maybe in some to some extent but there are things that white people have just told me where I'm just like wow that that was bold to just go on out and say <laughs> so um it's I don't know I think it's a unconscious skill that gets learned sometimes and I think an interesting thing too is um I've watched some videos where they've talked about how if you don't learn to code switch, how that can negatively affect you. And not that we should have to code switch, but there can sometimes be consequences when you don't know how to navigate between different spaces. I just want to add like a little, um, so based on like what we were talking about with code switching, so the perfect movie that popped in my head, y'all, I don't know if you guys know Lakeith, the actor, but that movie, Hate to Bother You, I thought of that, like that is the epitome of like having to post what for work in that movie. <laughs> so if anyone thinks. <laughs> <laughs> What's that called again? Cause I'm gonna put that in there for the show notes for the listeners. Um, so the actor that, that stars in the movie is Lakeith Stansfield and it's called Sorry to Bother You. Awesome, thank you. This is so, so good. I am, everything just, Yes, on point. And um, I have not seen that movie, but maybe I should. <laughs> it's 
it's a comedy. It's like a, it's like a, I would say educational comedy. It's funny. Can I say something real quick? When you said that about um, your parents always catching you, um, so my son gets mad at me when I correct his English all the time. And this is what I tell him. And it's the same thing my parents told me. You can break the rules when you know the rules. When you learn how to follow them all, you can break them all you want to. But until then, can't break not near one. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, I was thinking about my accent. If any of you know me, and I've heard me around Africans, depending on which part of Africa you're from, I will become Nigerian, I will become Motswana, I will even sound like a Zambian, I will sound like a Ugandan, I'm originally from Uganda. Um, and some people can pick up a, a little bit of that, a little bit of my accent, but um, I struggled with this for a little bit when I came to America because I started sounding American you know, like American, right? Of course, it's not American. It is whether Iowan or, and then different parts of Iowa um, have different accents as well. And then uh, with my African-American friends, I sound African-American and I'm thinking, Patience, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Why do you keep sounding different? And so it's not like I try to do it. It just kind of flows out of me. Um, so I struggled with that for a little bit. And I said, you need to be more authentic. You need to just have your African accent. But then I realized I've been raised so many different places. We're talking about partially in Kenya, Northern Ireland. I used to have an Irish accent, by the way. Wait, what? Straight up Wait. Irish accent. Just letting you know. In my younger years. And then went to, you know, Zambia, Botswana. And so that can get really confusing, you know, for a kid. And so I just, I just adapt as you know, one of you, I don't know who said the word adapt. I I adapt to the situation. Um, And my kid, one of my kids says, mama, you have four accents. (laughs) Because when you're talking to grandma, you sound, and when you're talking to so-and-so, you sound, and when you're talking to so-and-so, and and I said, yes, that is who I am. (laughs) And so yeah, and, and this, this happens, I believe, in the workplace when I'm talking to my boss is very different than when I'm talking to, you know, one of my colleagues who, I, who I'm a lot more close with and so on. Wow. Patience, you know, it's so awesome you bring that up because I've actually shared with you a personal experience that I had where I was in a meeting and this is so embarrassing. There's a very specific word that when when i pronounce that word in my kenyan accent it sounds like a cuss word (laughs) and so i was in a meeting and i said this word and my accent switching failed me and i used my kenyan accent to say the word and someone just burst out laughing and here's the thing i was new to this organization it was my second time in a meeting And I was so embarrassed. I ran out of the room. I went to the bathroom and I cried for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I spent time reflecting on that. And I realized because for me, and I think, I wonder if people who are 
like non-American immigrants who are living in America, like your accent is such a personal part of who you are. And when you move here, like you're living in the tension of like, I want people to understand me. So you change your accent, but you still want to retain your accent because that's who you are. And patience talked me through a very good wow. process of how to wow. work through that. So patience, that was very helpful. Just giving you some, yeah, you're this is about a year ago. Yeah. So I want to change gears a little bit here. Um, and we had touched on this a little bit uh, before. So do you think black women in our country are perceived differently based on nationality? So patients, you talked about having lived in Kenya, Uganda, Botswana, Zambia, Northern Ireland. Do you think, and now living in America, do you think black womanhood kind of shifts and morphs depending on where you live and your location? Um, for sure, for sure. Um, I, for, for example, I'll just give you a quick example. When I am um, in Iowa, <laughs> right? And I am, it, people know or, or can identify that I am African, right? So they will call me African. Um, and, and, and yes, I am African. Um, but I really would rather much be preferred to be um, referred to as the country that I am from, for example. Um, so for me, there's nothing, again, nothing wrong as it, it, with being referred to or being recognized as African, right? But it's when, in terms of my identity, um, <sighs> anyway, my identity almost changes here to African. When I'm mm. in Africa, for example, um, my identity changes to the country where my dad is from. And then um, for sure, so being, being black in various places, definitely um, the definition or its definition would switch or change. And when I say being black, I, I also, uh, I actually gave uh, a little, a talk one time about, being African, being black, how do I identify, right? Um, and do I identify as black? Of course, I identify as black, but I also identify as Ugandan, right? I identify as African as well. And so, I don't know. The, so, so those kind of terms to me will merge, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So do you think, and this is for and like anyone can answer this, not just specifically patients. Do you think in America it's different to be African versus black? So for example, when people see Jordan and when people see me and they know that I'm from Kenya, I was born and raised in Kenya. Like, is that different in America? I, I, I just want to um, maybe even continue. I would say Yes, it's different. Just from my experience, um, as an African woman, I was treated differently, I feel. In America. In America. Can you elaborate? Um, um, I, I was treated as though I needed to learn a little bit more, uh, almost as if someone needed to educate me on American issues. Uh, granted, I did need some some education, but I can tell you that I, 
I, I feel like I even knew a little bit more about America because in, in our educational system where I was raised, we, we learned about the world quite intensely. Um, so so it, it was almost like as I was approached as if um, people wanted to teach me something, you know. Um, oh, yeah, you, you're from Africa. Okay, let me help you out type deal. Um, so that, that's another thing that I wanted to say. Brianna, you were going to say something. Yeah, no. Um, so I feel like I actually might see it in a contrast perspective because, um, so the question again, let me make sure I, I understood it correctly, Tina, was that um, you said, is there a difference between like being African versus being Black in America? Is that right? Yes. Or rather, is there a perceived difference? Okay. So yeah, when, yeah. Um, I would say yes, because, um, so from a couple different lenses. So if you're looking at it, or at least this is kind of how I, I have seen it and understood it. So I have friends, obviously, that are what we would consider African-American, like Black. Then I have friends that are um, from various countries in Africa that are here as well. That's kind of how I put it without saying African, because <laughs> I know, yeah, Asian. So... Um, so I would say yes, based off of like hearing their narratives, hearing their stories, and then knowing my own, and then knowing like people, you know, in my spaces that are also African American. And I would say that because let's say from the perspective of a whole, um, America looking at people of color, I would say Africans and African Americans, I will say are sometimes looked at the same in certain spaces. Because then I have like, I have even friends from like different countries in Africa and they like, yeah, wow. white people treat us better than you. And I'm like, whoa, like, what does that mean? And then I started to realize it and I'm like, they do. Like, what is that about? And so I, my personal understanding is that, and this might be a little deep, I don't know, I don't think it is, but it might be the fact that the quote unquote, colonizer wants to detach themselves from the person that they colonized. And so they try to perpetuate this story of, you know, well, you're the better one because, you know, you're from the continent, the ones here that we messed up, you know, we're just going to keep this narrative going. And that's how I believe African and African-Americans, there's so much dissension, there's so much like issue between it, like, oh, you're not really African, you're Black. And I'm like, but we all came from Africa. So I'm confused, like how I'm not African by ancestry, obviously. But it's just like, there's so much like, you know, misunderstanding, miseducation, um, even hate sometimes, like, as to, you know, you're not our people, wow. you don't have a culture, you don't have a country. And I'm like, going kind of, I thought of when you said, um, you know, you have a country, you have an identity. That was taken away from African Americans. So it's kind of a slap in the face for someone to say, well, you don't have a country. It's like, well, I don't have one because it was taken away from me. So there's so much like confusion. I feel like that I put that on the colonizer because that was intentional. That was the point to, you know, rape you of your identity, rape you of your education, rape you of so many things, family, unity, all those things, languages. And so now there's like this whole like, um, um, I will call it like civil identity war within like the black diaspora, African diaspora. And so, yeah, I would say here in America, yes. Um, 
I see Africans and African-Americans looked at as differently within their own spaces and also from a white perspective because of my personal experiences, friends that I know, family that I know. Um, so yes, like to put it short, I would say yes. Yeah. You know, and I just want to add something quick to what Brianna, you just shared, which was very good. I know from my own personal experience, part of those stereotypes and that division is actually perpetuated by African people. So when I moved here, I was 17. It was made very clear to me that African-Americans were different from Africans. And I actually was encouraged to stay away from African-Americans. Right. So I think part of the work that we have to do as people of color, as Africans and as African-Americans, that work is within us. Like we need to work on ourselves and how we perceive each other. Can I can I say something as, uh, about that as well? Um, I lived, of course, um, in various countries in Africa, and the media has a lot to do with that as well. You know, our parents will watch movies that are, you know, that <laughs> you know what I mean, Tina, right? That people um, that are more uh, either geared toward portraying. African American culture, and we, t you know, we take it as face value. It, it, it is what it is. And I, you know, I didn't know that African Americans actually have many cultures. I believe there's, of course, you, you know, and I don't want again. I don't want to compare. This is the first thing that I said. I don't like this idea of comparing individuals and so on, and comparing families because depending on where you are from. In America, even your your particular culture, there's of course a broader kind of umbrella culture, but your particular culture might be different. So I personally had lumped all African Americans in one like ball, and when I came here, I said, wow, "Wow, I have been deceived." You know, my it's not my parents didn't tell me this, or, or you know, tell me to perceive it in a certain way, or even warn me about anything you know like tina how you said you were warned but what I, I just said i've been deceived and one thing that really touched me was um i was talking with one of my african-american friends male friends and he said your people sold us and i was like whoa hold on hold on a second right um but you know what i had to take that in and maybe maybe not okay in some Okay, so I didn't necessarily, but at the same time, when I watch movies or sitcoms or any other kind of, or let's just say the news, right? When I watch the news, because we watched American TV as well, and I see all, um, I see the way the media portrays African Americans, and I just take that without necessarily having that education or taking a step to understand or to know, then that also becomes my problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to repent <laughs> of that and it set me on a journey to more just appreciating um, my African-American brothers, brothers and sisters um, and also appreciating Africans and also correcting wow. Africans. I say Africans now, right? In general, if if any, you know, if 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 need be, but also at the same time, um, 
trying to educate both sides, right? So, but that, that hit home for me, Brianna. On that same note, um, and I'll be brief. Um, so this is Andrea. On that same note, um, if I were to go to Africa, and I mean, now it's not as bad, but when I was younger, if I were to go to Africa, I would probably say to any country in Africa, it didn't matter, it doesn't matter which one. I think I would say the same thing, <laughs> that I was deceived. Because the narrative that we're sold in our media is that the entire continent, because let's, let's be clear, the continent <laughs> that contains multiple right. countries of Africa um, is not one monolith, number one. Um, and number two, it's not all poor where everybody sleeps in a hut and there's lions roaming about that could come and tear down your hut at any point in time. There are actual cities. Oh my Lord. There are actual cities in Africa and universities. Oh my gosh. It's an amazing concept. Um, I just, I don't, we have this thing in America where everybody else is horrible and awful and their entire living situation is just nothing to be compared with what we have in the United States without recognizing that we are one of the youngest countries in the entire world. These other countries have been in existence before anybody even thought to sail their behinds over here before any of them happy colonizers decided to come over here and colonize something, there were entire civilizations that existed and had for thousands of years. It's just, it's mind boggling. Um, but back to your original question of, are we treated differently? Um, are we as black Americans treated differently than Africans? And I would say, I would agree with the points that Brianna made, with the points that patients made, Yes, we're treated differently. Yes, some of it is because of these ideas that are perpetuated in the media, whether it's the media here in the United States or the media that is transferred then from the United States to Africa, because the things that you see in Africa are going to be the things that sell well, that look good. And so you're not seeing the wide, the, the, the depth and breadth of what the black American experience is, all you're seeing is a portrayal and typically it is a portrayal by white people of what they think black culture is like and what they want you to believe black culture is like. Again, you get those tropes where you got the sassy black friend, you got the angry black woman, you got the Jezebel, you got the mammy, like that's all you get presented. And then you come over here and you realize Maybe that's not right. But when you as a child are having to go to school with these people every day, and I see this in school all the time, you have to go to school with these kids all day long. Your parents can choose never to interact with a Black person, a Black American. And so they will not have the experience that you have that, hello. <laughs> We get the same treatment when we're talking about before you open your mouth, we get treated the same. If they don't hear your accent, you're just another 
negative word that happens to be walking on my street. Wow. So can I chime in on something just really briefly? Yes. Um, so thinking about, so I lived in West Africa in, in, in Dakar in a, a village called Medina outside of Dakar, Senegal. And when I, when I lived there, I certainly got, and, and I don't know if this is true for, you know, for you patients and Justine. So, but, so what, what I noticed when I, when I lived there was that everyone where I was in the village that I was in, in the city that I was in, everyone, everywhere, you know, there was this, this Americans are all rich, you know? Um, and it was, and it was, I must've heard a million times, rich American, rich American, give me money, you know? Um, and again, I was in a village. And so, so the, the perspective of the villagers in Medina at the time was that a Americans were all rich, but they certainly felt some kind of way about African-Americans. And so, and so I, I just always thought that was kind of fascinating. Yes. So I'm going to share just my personal experience, you know, growing up, some of you might know this, but Kenya is known to be a tourist country. So a lot of the non-black people that I saw as a young person in Kenya were tourists and they would like drive in like very big trucks and they would have cameras, you know, and we just knew, oh my gosh, that's totally a tourist. But all the tourists I saw were always white or rather what would be considered of European descent. I never saw Asians. I never saw people who had skin that looked like mine. And so I think that's part of how that narrative was created. And even through media and the movies that we watched growing up, where only white people were portrayed as being wealthy. And oh my goodness, white missionaries. I saw a lot of white missionaries. My mother told me stories about this white male missionary who paid for her to go to high school. And Again, on the flip side, everything I saw about African-Americans was very rare, but also very negative. And that's why, and I've had this conversation with my brother. I think as a continent, Africa, we have a lot of work to do in terms of how we view ourselves and how we view people that look like us. There are billboards, y'all. Let me just tell you a quick story here. There are billboards in my country that portray beauty and all the beauty that we see there is white women. Now, granted, Kenya is a black country. We are 99% black, but anytime you see beauty creams or makeup, it's always a white woman. And I'm like, we don't have white women in Kenya. Uh, right. So there's a lot of inferiority complex complexes going on in Kenya and probably in the rest of Africa too. So that does it for us right now for part one. Again, you're going to want to listen and stay tuned to the next part two because it will be some, some great stuff and some show-stopping stuff. So um, until next time, y'all, Andres and Justine and I are just going to say peace, pas, and amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. 
The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective, these sisters in monarch training and development. Mm-hmm.